Hi folks, we want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church Podcast with our Associate Minister, Pastor Eric Howder. Now this podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries in the iTunes Store. Right now, let's get to Pastor Eric's insightful message. So who is the first person, who's the person that Jesus, not the first person, who's the person that Jesus had the longest conversation with on all four Gospels? Who do you think was so important, the content, the content of the conversation was so valuable for all eternity, that the Holy Spirit would make sure the Gospel writer covered all the important details of it? The longest recorded conversation in the Bible between Jesus and another person is the exchange that took place between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. But why her? We know by reading scripture, she's basically a a nobody in that culture. She has a checkered past. She has a sinful present. We don't even give her a name. John doesn't give us a name in his gospel for her. But the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired the recording of this conversation... Taking up all that space alerts us to the fact that there is something valuable in this passage in Scripture for every person who has lived, even today. It's still relevant today. See, the heart of the story is the Father, our Father is seeking true worshipers. People who will worship Him in spirit and truth. And that is what this woman becomes at the end of chapter 4. She doesn't start out that way, or at least she doesn't see herself that way. But Jesus seeks her out and looks into her heart. He sees who she she really is, and that changes her. Now she becomes what he sees. That's important to know. She becomes what he sees. A true worshiper who goes on to change the community that she lives in. So here we are in John chapter 4, and we get a lot of information in this chapter. First, the Bible takes the time to explain the route that Jesus is taking. So there, but there has to be a route, there has to be a reason why we are told the route in Scripture that He takes. So if the Holy Spirit wants us to know specifically that Jesus had to take this route, then there's a reason we are supposed to know why Jesus has to take this specific route. Scripture tells us Jesus had to go to Samaria. But why? Why did he have to go? This is Jesus. In reality, does Jesus have to do anything? Now this is an interesting point. It's not the kind of have to when you say you have to have Wendy's or you have to have Burger King. Or you have to have a triple espresso latte, cold foam, whatever. My wife's not here to help me out with that, but or five espresso shots. I'll stop. It, it, it's espresso, not espresso either, as I used to go to the drive-through and call it. It's espresso. It's not that kind of have to. The Greek verb here means to be necessary. So it was necessary. For Jesus to take this route. 
We're going to find out in a moment why he took this route. Why it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria. See, Scripture tells us the Pharisees have been investigating the credentials of John the Baptist. And now they're starting to press in to who Jesus was. They're examining what he's been doing. The Pharisees heard, according to Scripture, that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. So when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and was heading back to Galilee. So did Jesus have to go to Galilee by way of Samaria to avoid a confrontation? Perhaps. But if you read his word, and as we find out, you realize the time was going to come when Jesus would certainly be confronting the Pharisees. So I don't think that was the reason. Now, to understand this route, we need to understand the lay of the land. Now, I don't have any graphics to show you, and I love graphics, but so we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. We have Galilee up here, Samaria right here, and Judea right here. Jerusalem's kind of right in this area. So just keep that in mind. Galilee at the top, Samaria, Judea. And they're in Judea. So obviously the quickest route to Galilee would be go straight through Samaria. And we have to understand that. Keep that in mind. Now the Jewish people, more specific, the Pharisees, the ultra-Orthodox, ultra-legalistic, shallow religionists of the day would never, ever, ever, ever Step foot in Samaria. They would instead go from Jerusalem down a footpath along the Jordan Plain, east of the Jordan River, up the Jordan River, away from Samaria, adding time to their travels, but they would not step foot in Samaria. They did not want to go into Samaria at all. For them, that would be unclean. The Samaritans were considered unclean from birth. Geography is important in understanding chapter 4 of John's Gospel. So the direct route was Jesus going from Jerusalem right up to Galilee. Traveled right through Samaria to the town of Sychar. Takes him past Mount Gerizim, smack dab in Samaritan territory, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, as we're told in the Old Testament. Now Jesus was tired from his journey, weary. So geography was important. The second concept that is very important in chapter 4, are the Samaritans and who they were and why the Pharisees and Jewish people did not go there. A little history lesson. The Jews and Samaritans disliked each other. Went all the way back to around 722 B.C. The Assyrians conquered Israel and took the northern ten tribes into captivity. They brought in Gentiles from other areas to settle in the same region. Eventually, those Gentiles, with their pagan ways, intermarried with the Jews who had been left behind. They were the leftovers. Over the generations, those people were called the Samaritans. And they developed their own religion 
That was partly based on pagan ideas and partly based on Judaism. Eventually, they built their own temple and they developed their own language and their own version of the Old Testament, which contained only the first five books. So geography is important. The background of the Samaritans is four invisible walls stand between them. There's a religious wall, a gender wall, a racial wall, and also a moral wall. Yet Jesus found a way through all of them. He found her and then she found him. Now picture this, it's about noontime. Scripture tells us it was the sixth hour. So it's around noontime and Jesus is sitting alone at Jacob's well. When the Samaritan woman comes, he's already there. He's already at the well. He shows up in her everyday life. Every day she went to the well. And Jesus was there today. When she comes out to draw water, she's alone. So John writes this in such a way to give his readers valuable information. He gives us valuable information with this. We know that the culture in that time, respectable women go to the well together at the cool of the morning. Keep in mind the time of day. The Samaritan woman comes to the well at absolutely one of the hottest points in the day. Maybe up to 120 degrees possibly. She comes alone. She was physically thirsty. She needed to fill her jar. She needed water like everyone else in town. Now when the women gathered water in those days, they usually came together as a group. That was their social time. That was their literally the meeting at the water cooler. It's where they chatted about their lives, where they exchanged the gossip of the town, where they caught up with each other. They would share things such as, hey, a new Dunkin' Donuts has gone in, or they're building another Dollar General five miles from the other Dollar General, or they started construction on roads again so you can't actually drive anywhere in town or walk anywhere in town. That's where they had their life. That was their culture. But if a woman feels that she's not respected by other women, she will wait until she's sure no one else will be at the well. So that's what is happening with the Samaritan woman. So we already know that as a Samaritan, she's viewed by Jesus contemporaries as an outcast unclean from the cradle, disrespected by other women and her community. Now, have we ever felt like that in our own life? Like people are judging you for things that are beyond your control, or you feel trapped in a situation or a habit where you feel there's no way out. So every day you just keep doing what you've been doing and tolerate the situation. That's what she was doing. But God's relentless pursuit of us is always happening. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, as we all have, no, he doesn't seek me. I don't feel God's presence ever or hardly ever. But the question really comes to light is, are we seeking him each day? Think about how Jesus showed up in his pursuit of this woman at the well. He was there in the midst of her everyday life. 
He was already there when she got there. What are places in our everyday life that Jesus is waiting for us? Where are the places you might go when he might have always, already be waiting for us? Is it in the morning when we're having our coffee? Or we're sitting on our phones, social media, Facebook, or Mark's favorite, TikTok? Or we're trying to heal that relationship? Is Jesus already there? And the answer is yes. He's there when we're sitting at our desk and we're pulling out the bills and we're scratching our head like, how am I going to pay this bill today? Or I can pay it today, but I'm not going to have enough money next, next month. Or I just lost my job. What am I going to do? Jesus is there. He's already there. So we have to train ourselves to recognize He's right there trying to get our attention. So here Jesus, a rabbi, a Jewish man, not only talks to a woman, but he talks to a woman who is an outcast, a despised woman, who is a pagan idol worshiper. And worse than that, she's by every measure a well-known adulteress who probably has been an adulteress for a long time. This is an immoral woman in that society. It's a shocking breach of everything Jewish for him to say this to a woman. And he asked the woman, give me a drink. And the disciples aren't there to give him a drink because he sent them in the town to get food. Does it take all of them to go get food? Probably not. But Jesus needed to be alone at the well and have limited distractions. So without them there to give him a drink, and he doesn't have any instrument to get a drink, he says to the woman, give me a drink. This is shocking back then. And just a footnote, Jesus never did a miracle to quench his own thirst, satisfy his own hunger, or provide anything for himself. Never. There's no record in all four Gospels that Jesus ever did any miracle to feed himself, provide for himself. And this, he honored work. He honored effort. He honored care. He honored sacrifice. And he honored giving and all the things that we do in life to sustain ourselves. That was also part of his commitment to humanity. We get what we need through either our own work, our own effort, or somebody else's work and somebody else's effort through him, through God. See, Jesus understands us when we go to him in prayer. Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. Jesus understands what it's like to be hungry, what it's like to be thirsty. Jesus wept. Jesus understands frustration and sadness, praying in the garden before his arrest. Jesus understands everything that we bring to him in prayer. Jesus understands when a friend of him is dead. Jesus understands. The conversation begins with a simple question from Jesus. Will you give me a drink? He is tired and thirsty, and she has the water he needs. But, in reality, he has the water that she needs. He was thirsty and knew it. She was thirsty spiritually and didn't know it. The woman did not come to the well seeking Jesus, but he was there already. And in this approach, we see the great heart of our Lord Jesus. 
doesn't matter to him that others would not go to Samaria and others would not speak to this woman. He welcomes all and shuns none. Luke 19.10 says, Tell us that the Lord Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. John 4 is all about sovereign grace. But the Samaritan woman says back to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She's questioning Jesus. Almost in a rude manner. How can you... Wait a minute. How can you... Do you know who you are? You're, you're Jewish. You know who I am. I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. And it's the middle of the day, so I'm probably... Something's going on in town that I'm out here by myself. Do you understand what you're asking me? She's questioning him. Probably making sure that he realizes what's going on. But Jesus answered right back. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink... You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus isn't talking about physical water right now. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Now the woman's starting to, the wheels are turning. I'm assuming the wheels are turning. She's starting to think. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered back, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the water in the well. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. He's not talking about water now. Something's starting to click with the woman. Sir, give me this water so I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's caught in between right now between physical water and spiritual water. There's a triple surprise in these verses. Very important to know, first, that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan. Second, that a man would speak to a woman he didn't know in public. And third, that a Jewish person would drink from a Samaritan's cup. He said, I've got the water you've never dreamed of before. He's leading her step by step to saving faith. He leads her to see her need. Then he reveals who he is. Then he offers her something that could change her life. He's offering not to quench her thirst, but to banish it once and for all. Verse 10 gives it to us in a very simple manner. Jesus says, You would have asked, and I would have given you living water. It's so true today. All we have to do is ask. He's there. It's a reminder of all the vanity of our earthly things. Anyone who drinks of the water of this world that we live in, of the earthly things, we will continue to thirst day after day. And we all know what it's like to be thirsty, physically and spiritually. Verse 15, the woman says, give me this water. I don't think she completely understood what he meant, but she wanted what he had and what he was talking about. Further along, Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. But she says, I have no husband. Jesus knew that. 
He says, you're right, you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man now you have is not your husband. Is that insensitive? No. The words of Jesus could be seen as a verbal slap in the face, and yet it was the most loving thing he could have done for her. There's an important spiritual principle at work here. Without conviction of what our habits are, our sinful habits, our sinful traits, there can be no conversion. God sees behind the mask the reality within us. Until we come to grips with the sickness of our sin or our habits and our own willful disobedience to God, we cannot be saved. Is Jesus being cruel? No. By asking about her husband, he exposes this woman's lifelong pursuit of happiness. Seemingly, she has entered one failed relationship, one after another. And each time she's disappointed. Does Jesus love this woman? Yes. He knows the truth and still offers her eternal life. He knows the truth of this woman and her past and her present. And he still offers her eternal life. The wonder of God's grace. Only someone who loves you can look at your past without blinking. Real love means knowing the truth about someone else and reaching out to them anyway. He's not ashamed of her past. Jesus is not ashamed of her past. But he cannot help her until she gets beyond the shame and miss the truth herself. And she's almost there. She's near the kingdom. She's near understanding. She's getting there. I'm assuming she's probably uncomfortable. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our father is worshipped on this mountain. But you, Jews, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's throwing the theological question back to Jesus. She's switching the subject that a lot of us like to do. Yeah, I have multiple husbands. But, but, you know, where are we supposed to worship, Jesus? Jewish people say in Jerusalem. Samarians say a pair. At Mount Gerizim. So Jesus, where are we supposed to worship? Jesus comes back again. The time is coming, he says. With true worshipers, we will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It's not going to matter where we worship. This is a very critical part of chapter 4. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is saying to this woman, he is the Messiah. It's not clear to this woman she has met the most unusual man. She's met the Messiah. She knows true worship is not about where or how or even when. It's about who you are and who God is. God wants worship that is based on truth and a wholehearted personal commitment to him. Jesus was there when the woman got there. Jesus knew her past. It didn't matter. See, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is that religious activity that we often do 
They've gone to church, giving money, praying multiple times a day, following the Ten Commandments, having a quiet time every day. Those things are as good as they are, and they are truly good. But, but, if we just go through the motions and still have a heart filled with anger, a heart filled with bitterness, hatred, lust, greed, envy, and pride, what use are they? See, the worship God accepts must be based on truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and offered to him, offered to him from a humbled heart of faith. We don't have to go to the right mountain or the right temple or have the right ancestors. It's that humbled heart of faith, that true obedience to God in our heart and not to go through the motions, but the truth of the gospel of Christ. She has heard the Messiah now. At the end of chapter 4, verse 42 tells us, the hated Samaritans figured out something the Jews never quite got right. The Samaritan woman took off. She ran to go tell everybody who she met. Tell everybody in town. And because of that, the Samaritans eventually understood Jesus to become the Savior of the world. They heard this woman's testimony, then they heard Jesus and they believed in Him. Now in the end, you can't be saved on second-hand faith. They had to go. The rest of those people had to go see Him. We're not going to have eternal life because our mother was a godly woman or our father was a missionary. We've got to make a decision on our own. We can't live off our parents' faith or our wife's faith or our children's faith. It has to be a decision that we make on our own. Sooner or later, we've got to step forward and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I will be obedient to him. It takes me back to verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who, knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he have given you living water. All you had to do was ask. Ponder these three little words. If you knew... If you knew who I was, I will give you eternal life. Do we know who he is? Do we ask him for living water each day? The way we see ourselves is not the way God sees us. The way we see ourselves can cause a great deal of damage. Our own perception of ourselves We feel we don't deserve forgiveness or we don't deserve grace. And that's what's been going on in the Samaritan's heart. The rejection of her has left her deep, deep scars. She defined herself by the horrible things that happened in her life. But Jesus was there. And it changed her life. The Samaritan woman knew she was the Christ. He knew he was the Christ. And she believed. And she ran and told others. The woman is so transformed now that once seemed important before, like collecting water, now pales in comparison to what she knows now. She came to the well thirsty, but once the living water of Christ began to flow through her, and she saw who was there, and understand what he was telling her, she was no longer spiritually thirsty. And she ran to tell others. 
She was so completely and totally satisfied by Jesus that she could break free from all the things that had defined her. The people she once feared in her own community are now the people she seeks to save. Those are the ones she seeks to tell about Jesus. The ones that she was an outcast for are now the ones she goes into to spread the gospel. 2,000 years have passed since Jesus walked on the earth and his words remain relevant today. Times change, but the human heart remains the same. We have the same hopes and fears and dreams and doubts and we struggle with the same issues, uncontrolled anger, foolish choices, misplaced priorities, guilt, misguided ambition, limited faith, doubt, personal failure. Yet we still and always will have Jesus there to talk to us, to understand. His words today are still relevant. We are thirsty physically, so we use food or social media to comfort us, only to leave us hungry for more. We get thirsty emotionally, so we try relationship after relationship after relationship, only to become parched again. We hunger spiritually, so we use everything in this world, either from Oprah to Buddhism to any other ritualism to fill a gap that only Jesus can fill. So the Samaritans believed. The Samaritan woman went and evangelized. But what's interesting, as I mentioned earlier, this woman never had a name. And I love when God does that. And there's other instances in the gospel where people aren't named. And I think God is saying to us, we can step into that passage at any point in our life. Jesus is ready to give us living water. It's free for the asking, but are we ready to ask and receive it? We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.